for this morning takes us to uh, Luke chapter 10 and I would dare to say probably one of the best known stories or parables in the Bible. And uh, I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 25 and read through to verse 37. And I'm going to suggest to you that beware of your familiarity with it. Okay? In chapter Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we read, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, <coughs> how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell <coughs> into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, <coughs> he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, <coughs> pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. <coughs> the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. <coughs> I suppose that uh, it sort of goes without saying that uh, anybody and everybody, even in the secular world, knows what a good Samaritan is. I uh, saw a headline some time ago which mentioned that a good Samaritan came to the rescue of a person who was drowning. Obviously, somebody went out of their way, risked their lives to save another life. And the secular press referred to this person as a good Samaritan, assuming that any literate person would know what that means. And of course that makes sense. 
for surely the best known of all the stories of the Bible, and may I say one of the best known of stories in history of mankind is this parable of the Good Samaritan. I know that familiarity tends to breed contempt. And I'm going to say watch out for that this morning as we go through this particular story. By the way, uh, there was the story that I read some time, of a guy, of, of, uh, some time ago of a man who was a, a tourist guide in that area and he would take tourists from Jerusalem, which is about 900 metres above sea level, down to Jericho, which is 300 metres below sea level. So, if you like, there's a huge drop in a distance of around about 27 kilometres. And finally, when his sort of uh, car-sick passengers would get to the bottom, near the bottom there, he would stop the van and would say, everybody get out, and they'd all get out, and he'd say, see those ruins over there? And the tourists would say, yes, and start taking photos. He said, that's the inn. Okay, you've got it. <laughs> we are dealing with a parable, aren't we? <laughs> it's amazing. I reckon they were all American tourists myself, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> At any rate, it is a parable, and the likelihood of it actually happy, having happened is fairly small, if not they're impossible. Nevertheless, the story... In the context of this particular part of the, of the story of the Good Samaritan, we read that on one occasion, an expert in the law, and you notice what he does, in, in our text we are told that he stood up to test Jesus. Notice the attitude here? Sort of the examiner. Who is this, 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 this Nazarene? Who does he think he is? Is he really a person called by God? Is he indeed somebody who I need to respect? So he stands up to test Jesus. Remember, he's not there to examine himself. He's there to examine Jesus. And he says to him, Rabbi, good man, almost, sort of a condescending tone here, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever thought, thought through this question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Key word, straight away, the word is there, inherit. What's an inheritance? It is necessarily something you receive as a descendant. If you like, I inherit from my parents or grandparents. So if you like, inheritance implies a family connection, especially in the days of the Bible. To inherit was to receive something from your father, usually as a son. And of course, 
this man knows that to inherit, you have to have a relationship with the Father. Notice the next thing he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you thought about that? Now the only person in the universe who has eternal life inherently is God himself. And if we talk about receiving an inheritance from God, it implies that we must be a son or a daughter of God. An inheritance. And of course, as a Jew at this stage, he would have straightened his tie if he had one. And he would have said... I am a son of the covenant. I am a son of Abraham. I am Beni Berit. I am a son of the, the promise. And therefore, I am in line for my inheritance. But the next thing he says there, what must I do? Do you notice that word do, do, do? Do is an active word. It's an active idea. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, for a Jewish person, that simply meant, I must walk according to the law. I must do what a good son does in order to keep in the Father's good books. And so Jewish thinking was quite simply, well, because I'm a Jew, I'm a son or a daughter, and because I do as a son or a daughter, I inherit from my heavenly Father. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? You notice how exclusive this now becomes? Because only sons of the covenant, the descendants of Abraham, in those days believed that they could have eternal life. If you weren't one of them, you were nothing. That's why the Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs. So Jesus says to him, okay, you know your Bible, you're the expert, you know things a lot better than me, what must I do to eternal life? You answer your own question, mate. And of course this time again the Pharisees say, oh, of course I know. <laughs> and he quotes, does he not, the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And so at this point Jesus says to him, do this and you will have that life. Now at this point I would have thought that this particular expert would have seen that Jesus has neatly turned the table. You see, this man stood up to test Jesus but what Jesus is now doing is to say, test yourself, man. Do this and you will live. And maybe had that particular expert on the law had any sense of conscience about him, he would have realised at this point, oh goodness me, I need the grace of God. Remember there's another story in, 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 in Mark's Gospel where Jesus uh, meets this very rich young ruler. Remember that story? And this, this man says, ask the same question. He actually asks at this time with a passion in his heart, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The same kind of question... And Jesus says, what does the law say? And the young man says, all these I have kept. And then Jesus says to him, but one thing you still lack, remember? 
Go sell everything that you have. In other words, although you keep the form of things, somewhere along your line, your heart is still as hard as a rock. (laughs) So you would think that by now, there would be a bit of softening of the heart of this expert. What does he do? He does the normal trick. When people address your heart, normally you deflect. You know what I mean? You deflect. So he deflects. And he he poses another, uh, if you like, another question. He says, well, uh, uh, who's my neighbour? Remember that one? Who's my neighbour? And of course... We aren't always aware of that, but in those days there were quite a few debates going on about who our neighbour is. You know, the Jews believe you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. And that's why I asked Ellie to read that radical teaching of Jesus in in, in Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48. Love your enemies. It has it right there, doesn't it? And of course, especially the Pharisees, and we read several references to this in the New Testament as well, They said, well, if you ain't one of us, you ain't nobody. That's bad English, but you know what I mean. So he asks, and who's my neighbour? And then, in that setting, where this man, this Pharisee, this, this expert on the law, with his hardening of heart and deflected, Jesus again deflects back to him and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you notice what I've done. I put my hand up there because Jerusalem's up there and Jericho's down there, right? Zigzags. And he was held up by the robbers. Let's look at the characters for a moment because I don't need to tell you the story again, right? The characters. First of all, there was this, this fool. <laughs> Can I introduce him as a fool? He goes into very dangerous territory by himself, happy-go-lucky and certainly convinced maybe that God's going to protect him. And he's walking down the road and he gets bashed up big time. Can you imagine him? Blood coming out of his nose? I can see that. Probably tore his clothes off him too and he's lying there half dead. And then there was another guy comes by. This is for the sake of the story. He is the priest, right? And he's walking down there. And he sees this guy lying there. And he sees blood. And he sees groaning. And he says, I wonder if he's dead. But then he recognises that he's a man of God and if he touches this particular character he's going to be unclean. And if a priest was unclean it gave him a week's holiday. In other words he wouldn't be able to go and do his priestly thing because he had to be purified again. And so maybe for the sake of his congregation he says I'll leave him alone. And then comes in the story the Levite, right? <laughs> He's the sort of uh, the, uh, the verger, the guy that, that does the hands-on stuff in church life. Some of us are like that. Hands-on stuff. And he's probably thinking, man, 
I wonder if this is a setup. I wonder if there's another gang of robbers lying behind there waiting for me to help this fellow that bang, they get me. So what he does, the story says, you know, he passes by on the other side. And then we see a Samaritan. Now I tell you what, when the Jew hears the word Samaritan, they grind their teeth. Samaritans? They were lower than dogs. I mean, you know, the person that you know best is also the person that you hate most in many cases, if they're your enemy, right? And the Jews and Samaritans lived next door to each other and for no less than 500 years these two groups had been at war with each other. John chapter 4, for example, tells the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman by the well. Remember that story, right? So, so the, this Samaritan comes by and as, the, as you're hearing this story, oh, what could be worse than a Samaritan? Samaritans are not sons of God. They have no claim to inheritance and they have no status. They, they've worshipped falsely. They're going to go to hell. And this hell-bound Samaritan that has no spiritual hope or life in him whatsoever, he's, he's the man. He gets off his donkey and he tends his wounds. and puts him on his donkey and takes him the rest of the journey down to Jericho, finds an inn there and spends the night looking after him. And the next day, he says, here's the money. Look after him and if, if there's more owing, I'll pay it when I come back next time. And Jesus says, and who do you think was a neighbour? And if you look at the story, the expert can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't even say the word. He says, the one who has mercy. And at this point we come usually... And here Jesus say to this man, now you go and do likewise. Right? What do you do with this story? Well, it teaches me who my neighbour is. My neighbour happens to be anyone whom the Lord puts in front of me and, and puts besides me and who cries out for my, my hand to help. And it certainly teaches me that I must look at my neighbour as a human being and treat them accordingly. And I suppose if I told this story to a Sunday school, I would have to say, well, Sunday school children, what do you do with this story? You say, oh, well, I've got to become a good Samaritan. Stop. Because I'm not sure that that's the real message of this particular parable. You see, when you hear this parable, you can think of it in several ways. The good Samaritan is who I should be. And you say, okay, I'm going to try harder next time. Or the good Samaritan is who I'd like to be. But the real challenge of this story is this. Who are you, in fact, in this parable?
Do you see yourself here? Take through the characters for a moment. I see the priest. Now that hits pretty close to my particular bone when all is said and done. But many of us here, and some of you that have been part of this particular congregation and have had a long walk with the Lord, you'll know that you can almost say, all these have I kept. I've really tried to walk the talk, haven't you? I have. I've been sincere. I tried to raise my children in the fear and love of the Lord. I came to church. I, as one person recently said to me, I ticked the boxes. Now, externally, the priest ticks the boxes. But what Jesus does is to expose his heart and really say, in spite of the way you kept the faith, was your heart there? And then you begin to see, hey, beware of the priest living in me. You hear what I'm saying? Doesn't that bring you to your knees? It does me. And then you meet that second character, the Levite. So he didn't go to his study to study theology, right? But he, he was a practical Christian. And I suppose many of us have remained practical Christians. And he would have said, I've always had my hands dirty for the Lord. But do you notice how selective he in fact is? He selects those for whom he's going to serve. Brothers and sisters, God have mercy. Don't you see yourself back in that? Now comes the third character, the Samaritan. Has it struck you? Do you think that there has ever been a truly good Samaritan. We might have moments of good Samaritanism but in a way I see the good Samaritan there as the ideal figure. Somebody who stands miles above ordinary mortals like priests and Levites and you and me. Indeed I'll go a step further just to make you think. The only person that I know who fits the role of the Good Samaritan is the Lord Jesus himself. And it's rather striking that in the Gospel of John, for example, when the Jews really wanted to insult Jesus, what did they call him? John chapter 8. They called him a Samaritan. And the more I think about this as Jesus as the, the ultimate model of this good Samaritan, you know, what did Jesus say? He says, I've come to, break, to, wind, to bind up the weary and the, the brokenhearted. If there is one person that picks us up as 
the good Samaritan picked up the wounded man. It's been Jesus in my life, hasn't it? He took, lifted me up. He bound up my wounds. He tended me. I call him my saviour. He rescued me from death and brought me to life. In the story of the Good Samaritan, I see Jesus. Can you see him? There's one more character in this story. And that's the man who's lying there besides the road. Remember at the very beginning I referred to him as a fool? Can I say that the more I think about this story, the more I find myself in that wounded and helpless dying man. And for me as a Christian, the greatest joy of all, the thing that changes my life is the reality that Jesus has stooped down and has taken me in his arms. And has healed me. And has given me everything that I need for my well-being. What's the story of the Good Samaritan all about? It's the Gospel of God. It's the whole Bible in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected and despised him. But nevertheless, he came down the road, despised as he was, and gave me life and redeemed me. I want you to think for a moment. Who am I in this story? Oh God, I don't want to be the priest. Oh God, I don't want to be the Levite. I'd love to be the Samaritan. But really, I find myself in that helpless man who needed to be saved. And having been saved, I can now hear the final word of this parable, go and do likewise. In Christ, we sang it, we are more than conquerors and are able to be and to do exactly that. So, Good Samaritan story, great isn't it? And I hope it's helped you just to think it through in a somewhat different perspective, but nevertheless, a perspective that I think the scriptures demand of us. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you ever so much 
for sending your son Jesus and for Jesus seeking out helpless, wounded, useless people like us and saying, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Will you bless and be with us, Father, for the rest of this day? Will you keep us close to your heart and enable us, Father, in the power of your love through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to say, thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, come to the closing part now of the uh, service. As... uh, I'm going to ask you to stand in order to receive the benediction and then after that we're going to sing number 829 for the cause. Will you please stand in order to receive the parting blessing. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all of you now and forevermore. And as the people of God, we all say, Amen. Amen.